Welcome once again to the Irish in Sweden podcast. My name is Philip O'Connor and if you're using your big fancy headphones to listen to this, you'll probably hear to have a bit of a cold boys and girls because it's May and the winter's over. And of course we can't have nice things at the very beginning of it. So I've been struggling for the last week. I got a right belt of it. So I was COVID there again, which I think I had before Easter and now I had it after Easter and that kind of thing. It must be getting old. I hope you are all feeling well. We've a big bumper episode uh, on on the go for you this week, with not one but two interviews. Uh, in a short while, we're going to be talking to the wonderful, the magical Mr. Gary Lavelle. Now, Gary is one of my favourite people in Sweden, and once you listen to the interview that I did with him the other day, you'll find out why. Just a great, solid guy all around, a real community man, a thinking man, a man who's prepared to do uh, whatever he needs to do for his community. And uh, I'm going to be talking to him about, he set up a business here in quantity surveying, right? Now, I didn't know this until he said it to me a few months ago, but that doesn't exactly exist as a thing in Sweden. I didn't realise that at all. I thought it was like a a regular part of any construction project was going to have uh, quantity surveyors and that kind of thing, you know? Now, that's my limited understanding of these things. Then I got into talking to Gary and said, you must come on and talk about that. Well, we're talking about that, but we're also talking about uh, a charity initiative that he's undertaken in a few weeks' time, and I urge you to listen to it. When you're done listening to it, there's going to be a GoFundMe link uh, below in the show notes here, so go down and have a listen to that and that kind of thing, you know, so it's uh, it's well worth supporting, and you'll hear he'll explain exactly why, what it is that he's supporting and how he's going to do it and why, right? But we'll get back to that a little bit later on. Before we get into that, two things. One, I have the other interview, which I'm going to introduce now in a second. The other is, this is a community-supported podcast, lads. Be like Martin Veerstrom, uh, Martin Veerstrom at Hessians. Martin Hessians and Veerstrom's there. Support the podcast if you can. If you want to do so financially, patreon.com forward slash arrowman in Stockholm. Even if you can't, just share the podcast. Even if it's with people outside of Sweden who know nothing about us, share it with them anyway because you get a good bit of crack over every week, you know. So if you could do that, I would be uh, greatly, I would greatly appreciate it. But 50 crowns a month, the price of a cup of coffee at patreon.com forward slash arrowman in Stockholm will go a very long way. Uh, you may have noticed that the irishandsweden.com website is up and running. It could be essay, I can't even remember. But, uh, and what I'm doing there is I'm taking some of these stories and I'm publishing them there as news stories. And what you're about to hear now, the interview you're about to hear with a man called Adrian Kyo now, who used to live down below in Gothenburg, started on the website, so to speak. So I saw on social media that uh, an Irish person had arrived down at Lanvetter Airport in Gothenburg, uh, an Irish wheelchair user, Adrian Kyo, and uh, they told him, oh, sorry, Chief, we're going to have to wait for an hour before you. We, get, we get you off. And what happened was that Adrian sort of, you know, sat around for a few minutes and went, I'm not having this, and basically crawled down the stairs, which, as you can imagine, is a very undignified thing for a wheelchair user to have to do, to be told, oh, you're going to have to wait for an hour or that, you know? So uh, I got in touch with Adrian, and I asked him to come on and see if he would tell his story. But as I say, it was first published on the Irish in Sweden website. Uh, I didn't feel like waiting uh, until you know the podcast came out at seven o'clock on Monday morning as usual before bringing to it, bringing it to you. So you may have read the beginnings of it here, but here is the full story and the full interview with Adrian Kyo and what happened when he arrived at Landvetter Airport on the evening of the 29th of April, just a couple of days ago. No, I landed into Gothenburg the 29th of April um, around 11, 11 p.m. at night time. And um, when we landed, we came up to the approach and the plane stopped. And um, as normal, all the able-bodied people uh, walked out of the plane and not a bother. And then the steward from Lambetta Airport came up to me and said um, that you'll be at least one hour before you depart um, the plane. And I asked why. And she said to me that um, that you, your plane is delayed and you've missed your slot for your assistance to get off. And you have to... Wait at least one hour before departure. 
So how was this your fault if, you know, the plane was delayed, they, you know, you missed a slot and that kind of thing. Has this happened to you before, Adrian, has it? I've had some experiences like this before. Um, one time I flew with British Airways, um, me and my mother are flying to Gothenburg through Heathrow, and we landed in Heathrow, and uh, that was Grand pulled up, and everybody got off, and me and my mum were left waiting, and uh, brought my wheelchair to the top of the plane and asked me, would it be okay if I could make my own way to the top of the plane uh, without any assistance? And I said to him, if I could do that, I wouldn't need a wheelchair in general. So they had, they, had, they had to go off then for 20 minutes and bring back uh, the oil share thing and get me up from my A to B then. But uh, they hadn't marked. When I book every ticket on for a flight, I ring the airline just to confirm it, just a peace of mind. And um, I rang British Airways and it obviously didn't listen to me because you have different uh, markings when you're in a wheelchair for to allow to notify people that you're in a wheelchair you know I mean? hmm. for assistance. And just take us through it now, because like obviously you get to board the plane before everybody else, and then you have to wait as everybody else gets off. Do you mind me asking you what happens? Do they have to physically carry you? Is there a machine that they put you in? How do they usually get you on and off the plane, Adrian? What they normally do is um, you go down down a lift out to the runway, out to the first side plane, and uh, they put you in the back of a truck or like something like you see that go with a ramp, and you lift up up, and then you go into a box. And then the box lifts up into the plane. It's like the cargo for food and stuff, uh, that kind of procedure. And then you transfer onto um, a seat onto in, in the lorry. And then you transfer back onto an idle seat. It's a little small wheelchair seat that fits up the aisle. Now it's very, it's very small and it's usually very tight and squeeze for anybody that's a bit large like myself to get up into this thing. But you squeeze in and they belt you up. And uh, then you have to bring you onto the plane either front or back, and you go up to your seat and hop across then. I am lucky I'm quite mobile that way that I can lift myself across, but sometimes it, say with somebody not as strong as me, they'd have to get help to transfer across. Mm. So you're there on the 29th of April. They've told you, you're going to have to wait for an hour, pal. We're not going to be able to do anything. And you kind of went, right, I'm, I'm not waiting. I've had enough of this. No, I couldn't because um, I needed to go to the toilet, to be honest with you. Um, and I wasn't being able to make another hour. Not a hope. And I was getting a bit sore and stuff because late in the evening, I was an hour an hour late leaving the flights was so and then I didn't want to wait another hour, at least minimum. So I said to the steward, Will it be okay if I uh, crawl out? And she looked at me and I was like, Yeah. And she said, Okay, if you can. So I slid over to the side of the sea and um just rolled over and started crawling down the bottom of the plane, you know. How how did you feel when you're doing that, Adrian? Because it just sounds to me like it's a very demeaning thing to ask somebody in your position to do. That you know you've asked for assistance, you paid for assistance probably, and then you're not getting it, and you have to crawl out. How did that make you feel? <sighs> Horrible. To be honest with you, just like, is this actually happen? You know, um, on 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 an airplane that you expect us to be lifted off normally and be treated like anybody else. The thing about it is, when um, I booked the flight with Ryanair, any ferry you book it with, you can get uh, assistance and it doesn't cost you extra. But I, ch- I chose to book priority with the assistance as well, just for a peace of mind. I just I was in a bad accident eight years ago, Philip, and um, in a building site, so I had a bit of trauma since that. And I just want to have, have my all ducks in a row, just for peace of mind, as best I can, you know. Mm. 
Um, when you get to the bottom of the stairs then, because I think, yeah, did you mention on Instagram that when you put the picture up, they didn't want you taking pictures of this or recording anything like this, right? No, you could hear, um, but no, no, no. And my brother took my took, took the picture. I just like, take it, take it. I, I'm not doing this for being vain or my profile. It's just to show what people in wheelchairs and disabilities have to go through. We just, we want to be all equal, no matter who we are. Equality is important. And I don't, hopefully this is the last time me or anybody like me has to go through anything about open social media. What did they say? Because there's two actors here. One is Ryanair and their cabin crew and that kind of thing. Now, as far as I can ascertain, their sort of responsibility ends at the door of the plane and then the airport is supposed to take over. The Swedish yeah. people who are meeting you at Landvetter, like you say, Adrian, you used to live here. This is not your first time here and you would yeah. expect a lot more of them. What did they say when they saw you crawling down the stairs? Was anybody ashamed of themselves at all? No, they're just uh, this woman, the stewardess that said to me about being an hour late. Then by the time I got to the bottom of the stairs, where I was hopping over to the to, the, to my own wheelchair, she came up to me and says, "Then, um, oh, it's Ryanair's fault because they never notified us about the need assistance on the plane." And I was like, "That's not true because two minutes ago I was getting off the plane. He said um, these were delayed. That's why you missed the spot. So he didn't know about this. You know what I mean?" And she looked at me. She said, "Oh." Oops. And I was like, I wasn't really in the humor to talk to her because, you know, all this reason I had to go to the toilet. So uh, I just left it at that then. And then the next day on my Instagram, that the picture I put up underneath it, Lambetta got back to me then saying, sorry about this inconvenience, blah, 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 blah. Uh, we had a medical emergency at the time. And so that's three stories from the one area. And I just, at no time, Saturday night, and there shouldn't be any medical assistance or no medical assistance. Um, medical assistance. Um, we, no one told us at that time that there was a medical trouble in somewhere else in the airport. So they should be catered for that in general anyway. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a fucking international airport. I mean, you would yeah. expect that, you know, you know, they can handle more than one thing at a time. And it would strike me then that your situation was probably something that they do a few times a day in most cases, would you imagine? Exactly. Oh, definitely. And... Um, yeah, mostly people that have a, uh, medical assistance or whatever going on. And when I went through through security and passport control, the I was talking to uh, one of the past the women in the passport control office, and she said, "This happened the whole time here. It's always happened." It's what's that we, to yeah, nothing new. Yeah. You, you, you were mentioning to me that you used to be, you're on the Irish and Sweden podcast now, and I'm delighted to have you. You mentioned that you used to be one of the Irish and Sweden. When did you live here, my friend? Yeah. Um, uh, 2008 till about 2010, I played a Gaelic with uh, Bill, the legendary Billy Finn and Billy Adrian, Finn. Uh, the, the Shamrock boy from Limerick, um, and uh, Adrian Kelly and Declan Redmond and Neil O'Connor, Steve Garman, all these legends. We won a championship there in 2009 in Copenhagen. Uh, Copenhagen. Yep. So it was, yeah, it was old school, but we're the best. That, that was before I got the boots on and ruined all that for poor old Billy Finn for a couple of exactly, years. Exactly, exactly. Billy Finn and his few schmuzzles, as he likes to call them himself. Oh, he loves it. He loves a schmuzzle. We had one or two yeah. of them in our day now, right? Yeah, no, but there's yeah, some great yeah, battles yeah. with him, you know? And when, when you move you move back down in sort of 2010, 2011, 2012 yeah. there or something. Yeah, it was in, uh, early 2010. Um, so I moved, yeah, so best part, roughly two years um, as well. And Mike Glennon was another guy, you probably know him through media. I know as well. well, works for RTA, yeah, yeah fantastic yeah, guy. Yeah. Mike guy. So yeah, so I played a bit of Gaelic over there and um, the another guy I used to work for, Andrew Hardyman, just tree service, you know what I mean? So a good Irish community over there and some of the boys are still there and some have moved on, but it's just, um, 
it's lovely to come, come back over to Sweden and we always meet up for a beer and reminisce and the stories get longer and longer, the usual thing, but it's part of life, you know what I mean? Oh, Jesus, you're a bigger hero now in the GEA field than you ever were, I'd say, with a few years, you know? <laughs> oh, geez, yeah, yeah. Royalty, that. Exactly, you know, we have, we have our icons and you were one of them. Did, did that sort of, in some way, were you over to see the boys last weekend? Was that why you were coming over, was to see no. Declan? Well, I see some of the lads, I knew I had to come over, but I have, um, I have a daughter over in Sweden. Uh, her name is Erin and uh, she is 14, actually yesterday. So we went over for her birthday. So it's the first birthday since the pandemic. Uh, so I said we'd make a bit of a spiel. Seven other family members uh, came over with me just for a bit of celebration and just 14 she's nice nice look young girl like happy and healthy you know she's a big girl now did, did yeah. this sort of did this ruin it in any way adrian were you able to put this behind you this lack on the plane at long better well to be honest with you it happened so unexpectedly you know it shocked next day i realized what happened you no know, it took time for me to sink in so i was like next day jesus that that happened and i was like what's, what's going to happen i'm going back or am i going to same thing or it's going to be trouble or he just didn't know it's a bit of a bit took me head took me a while to get around us you know um on the way back then i'm hoping they gave it a vip treatment that they were having yeah. glasses of champagne and, and you know cushions and all sorts of things it was that the experience was it a bit better the second time around uh, um to be honest with you philip it's normally very good to be honest with you but um it did it brought me on and the minute i went through the airport and down through the gates uh in then Vette, they brought me on and other, there was one other woman who had a uh, need medical help as well getting onto the plane brought us on and put us on first and everything was good and um then landed in dublin and we got off the got off the plane and there was no problem at all and there was a manager of one of the departments up there and he had a chat with me and i says dublin is always good there's never any problem because i said the staff is good in Dublin and they know me, they know me now. So a couple of the guys Saturday night actually loaded me, loaded me before and we had a little chat and a high five. It's just a peace of mind, you know. It makes all these things um, less stressful or anxiety or whatever the case may be, you know. Will, will it put you off wanting to come and celebrate your daughter's birthday again now, you know, after being through that? Or will you, you know, you've kind of no choice in a way because she still lives here, you know. How will you feel the next time you're booking a flight to Lanvetta to see her? I, yeah, I knew you'd ask this one. <laughs> um, I feel a bit, I feel a bit edgy now. Tell you the truth, I'll, I will come over, but I'll just be a little bit edgy um, because I've experienced what I've experienced, you know, and just how it shouldn't happen. You know. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, I can almost guarantee you that myself and Declan Redmond and a few lads will be standing there with hurlies at the side of the tarmac when you get here the next time to make sure this doesn't happen again. I'm yeah. glad it worked out for you, Adrian, and uh, I'm looking forward to hopefully we might see you at some point when you're over here again. But for now, thanks for joining me in the Irish and Sweden podcast. Cheers. Thanks so much. Hi, all folks. Take care. There you go. That was Adrian Kyo there telling us about that experience. And uh, this is journalism, lads. So when it comes down to it, I know sometimes you think, ah, oh, this is just a bit of crack. It's just a man waffling into a microphone, talking to people, that kind of thing. But when a story like this comes up, we have to give the right to uh, the right of reply to those who are involved. So I got straight on to, uh, after talking to Adrian, uh, I got on to Ryanair and I got on to Swedavia, who are the company that run Landvetter Airport. And uh, Ryanair replied literally within minutes, right? And they sent me this statement. 
uh, they first they pointed out that uh, assistance for wheelchair users is free of charge, and then they said, and I quote, special assistance at Landvetter Airport is managed by a third-party provider, not Ryanair. We regret that Landvetter Airport failed to provide special assistance to this passenger upon arrival on 29th of April, and we are working with Landvetter Airport to ensure this does not recur. End quote there from Ryanair. As I say, literally, you know, within minutes of me mailing, they got back to me, and that was fairly late in the evening there last week when they did that. The following day, the Swedes took their time, lads, because it uh, it seemed to me that um, things weren't going really well for them because all of a sudden, you know, when you talk to people in the background and that, people were saying, well, it's actually the airport's fault. And eventually they did get in touch with me and they sent me the following statement. So this came from Swedavia. Quote, Swedavia regret Mr. Kyo's experience at Göteborg Landvetter Airport on Saturday. We followed our usual airport procedures, but unfortunately, due to a series of unforeseen circumstances, the assistance took a while to arrive, which led to a slightly longer waiting time. The assistance was confirmed and en route, but unfortunately delayed, and not up to our usual standard of service, but by no means forgotten. According to our own information, assistance was on site just under 30 minutes after the plane landed. This delay is, of course, something that we regret, and we are looking into the incident more closely. Assistance for wheelchair users and the disabled is an important part is an important service that Swedavia and Gothenburg Landvetter Airport provide to facilitate and make flying accessible to everyone. Everyone should feel welcome and safe flying it to or from Landvetter. In this case, the assistance regrettably took a little longer than usual. Again, we are very sorry for Mr. Kyo's inconvenience. End quote. Now, the problem with that is, lads, that um, that doesn't really dovetail with what uh, Adrian told us, right? Because first he was told that uh, oh, they missed he missed his slot. And then he was told that, oh, no, the, the airline didn't tell us. And then we're told that, yeah, it was there 30 minutes afterwards. By then he'd left the plane. So I'm just wondering now, you know, there's always a run with these things to try to, you know, to find out what happened. But also try to present yourself in a halfway decent light. And I think on the whole we have to say that Yotavoy's land at the airport. I'm sorry to all the good people who work down there and no doubt who help people day in, day out and all that. That's not the problem. You got it wrong this time, lads. Be better right the next time adrian kyo comes over and lands at yottaboy's land veteran airport roll out the red carpet lads right have them popping champagne corks the fire engines firing streams of water over his ryan airplane before he gets it from their high hoses right because this is not okay okay um the fact that it happens once and it's regrettable not i get all that but like once is too much right one person using a wheelchair one person requiring assistance to be let down like this it's just not good enough, right? It has to be 100%, 101% if possible uh, when it comes to things like that. So hopefully, as politicians have a, they have a saying, you'll notice the way they never say, I made a mistake, I learned a lesson. They go, mistakes were made. Lessons will be learned, right? Lads, just do it, okay? Get it sorted out. And if you do hear things like this in the past, uh, or sorry, in the future, lads, I don't know if you remember there a few months ago, uh, my good friend Graham Merrigan was over here to watch Shamrock Rovers playing against Hugh Gordon, and we ha- he had a very positive experience of being a wheelchair user in Stockholm, you know? So, but if you do see things like that, do please bring them up, because we will take them seriously on this podcast, and we will take them to the airlines and to the airports and to the relevant authorities and find out what they have to say about it. Because as we said, lads, community-supported podcast. It only exists because you do. Right, let me get on to the chat that I had with Gary Lavelle last week. 
Uh, I've known Gary for probably over a decade now, played football alongside him. A man from Ackle Island in County Mayo, a place that is very, very dear to his heart. And uh, I just wanted to talk to him about two things. One is about business and construction and you know the big projects that are getting done in Sweden at the moment. And the other was his uh, his charity drive at the moment. So towards the end, now listen carefully, right? Because he's taken on a, a fairly wild challenge, fairly tough physical challenge, it has to be said. But there is no better man than Gary to do that. And again, keep an eye on the show notes, lads, and on the social media posts and that kind of thing because I'm going to be pumping out this GoFundMe I've already contributed myself and if you have a few bob to spare maybe you'll take a contributing well as well but here he is now me and me cold still struggling away here with this microphone so I keep saying the wrong thing Gary Lavelle on the Irish in Sweden podcast enjoy me old flowers Pleasure to have you down in the Irish and Sweden podcast studio. Um, let's start your own story. I'm forever trying to remember when the first time you moved to Sweden was because I remember you just as this man who appeared in the midfield in the Stockholm Gales and started pulling the balls out of the air like a salmon. When was that? Well, thanks for having me, Phil. It's great to catch up with you. Um, so I moved to Sweden in 2011 originally. So I think it was the 2012 and yourself and Colin Courtney got me involved in the in the football back right. then. So yeah, I really enjoyed it. Probably played seven or eight years of it now altogether since then. So originally over that time I was over for about two years. Uh played a couple of tournaments, travelling over to Sweden, stayed registered with the Stockholm Gales and yeah, I really enjoyed it. Hopefully get a couple more this this year as well. Indeed. What was it that brought you here in the first place? Because you're now in the construction industry and we'll get onto that very specifically in a little while. So what was it that brought you here uh, the first time? It was, I suppose, coming out of college, there was the recession in Ireland in kind of 2010, 2011. Hmm. And there was an opportunity to come out and work on projects in Stockholm, the city of Manon and, and, and other projects there. So came out to really to be out just for a couple of months, the there was a plan maybe to go to New Zealand or further afield and it was maybe to get a bit of money together and then just loved Sweden and decided to stay. And then Aileen came out after she finished college as well and, and that was it, my now wife at the time, girlfriend. Yeah. So um, yeah, that was what brought us out and then always looked to maybe come back. And it's still even now the construction in Sweden is, is a consistent pipeline down the line as well. Mm. Um, when you first came over here, because there's an awful lot of people, when, when we come over here first, we don't really know anything about the place. Like, you know, we, we know about ABBA and Zlatan and that's about it. Like, you know, what did you expect when you arrived over here? Did you expect to find Gaelic football, for instance? No, no, <laughs> I really didn't, actually. I don't know what to expect, really. And, and it happens, I, I suppose, it's probably lots of Irish people have probably experienced it coming over, particularly in the construction industry at the time. It was, you know, you come over and you're told that's the project and, you put into accommodation that might be set up for you and I was down in Tumba in South South Stockholm initially and yeah it was a bit of just finding your way at the time and probably for the first six months or so you're working long hours and I got involved with a local soccer team and just went up and decided to train with them and, and that was that tied over and then come into the summertime got to know more about Stockholm Gales at the time. Mm. I mean there was no real Instagram and Facebook was Back then was mm. probably 
a little bit more common but found out about the training then and, and I think there was Ambassador Cup at the time and really yeah. enjoyed it just I hadn't played Gaelic for a few years up to that and just thought it was a great thing then and that was it mm. if, if you think back to the lads that you were working with then and, and living with in Tumba was there a lot of Irish fellas in your circle there that you would have been on a site with or in an office with every day was there? There was, on the site, that there was a lot of people eventually that, that came out on them projects. Now, I was probably on in on the site and the specific project for a short while and then went more into the office. So it was more um, not to kind of socialise as much at that way. So the soccer was, and then the Gaelic was a great way to kind of meet other people because, you know, it was working long hours, mm. five, six days a week. And, and that was the way it was in them projects. So... Mm. You'd see them a little bit, but not even then. I don't think that many of them really transferred into the guilds at the time either. Probably you see that more nowadays than you would have seen then. So mm. it's um, so it was it was good to have that and made friends that you're still friends with now. You know. Mm. The, I was always worried about that back in the day and even it still worries me to this day because people come over like you say they work five five and a half six days a week they might go to the high stool to watch Liverpool or Arsenal or Manchester United and then we never really do anything for them we never really absorb them into things here but when I noticed from the likes of yourself and from Darrell Carroll that it actively came from you you went right I'm going to play soccer in Tumba and Dara famously said in the podcast last week I'm just going to say yes to everything uh, did you feel sort of welcomed then when you arrived in the Stockholm Gales and indeed in Tumba in the soccer club that you played in there oh absolutely yeah yeah. it was funny last week I met up with a couple of the my friends that were been the original soccer team at the time mm. and they asked me that question they were saying remind us again how, how did you get involved because we just remember this Irish guy landing down to training and I said I was I was walking from the train station home and I seen them training young kids in the park and I just said do you have a, a team around here somewhere and that was it then they put me in touch with Lele who was the in charge of the team at the time and he said come along and took it was a slow process like just going to trainings and saying hello but then the guys kind of brought you in and welcomed you and they're like I said still friends today still meet up with them and and uh, it's great to have it and then like with the Gales I know Alien had moved out she got involved playing with the ladies which was great to have and then like Colin and them came came over and said to try it out I was coming down and kind of watching and I said I must get involved myself again mm. it's, little bit of hesitancy hesitancy on my part because I thought I I haven't played it in so long and I maybe I, I don't I'll just leave it off and c- continue with the soccer but mm. I was glad I did in the end Jesus we were glad to get you as well <laughs> for all those all those balls you pulled out of the air for us it was magnificent you know? yeah and um, d- did you return home then for a little while after the first uh, the initial period that you spent in Sweden I did I did I returned home to Ireland with myself and Ailey went back we were living back in Galway and uh, worked on a big motorway project there for a couple of years and went back to restudy actually because initially I had done construction management in college and it was something I got involved with being over here in that role that I was doing with the company here was more on the quantity surveying and the and the, the kind of office side and, and commercial side of operations so um, studied back in GMIT and was working on the project and then that probably a bit of paperwork gave me an opportunity to go abroad again Mm. so via Denmark I came back to Stockholm then five years ago so Mm. 
Um, you're now the proud owner of QS Consult. You've started your own quantity surveying consultancy, right? Now, if I say anything wrong here, correct me straight away because this is going on the record, right? Um, you were telling me earlier that a quantity surveying as we would know it in Irish construction or British construction doesn't really exist as a thing in Sweden. What's the difference between the building industry in Sweden and the building industry in Ireland that you would have left when you were working on that project in Galway? That's a good question. Um I suppose that you realize that here in, in Sweden, I suppose the, the key difference is, as you said, the quantity surveying, the education channel and the, the actual role itself is in common in, in a Swedish organization of a, a construction company. A lot of emphasis goes on the project manager to, as in their role, to manage the economy or the finances of the project as well, which is extremely difficult when you're talking on, on large scale projects. OK, maybe on, on a smaller scale there's an element of that with with some help um, in the, in other roles that they would call. So the uh, entrepreneur ingenieur is, is a is a role that they have here, which is basically a general project engineer who mm-hmm. could, in their experiences, go into health and safety or quality or commercial. But I suppose with the quantity surveying, it's it's a specific course in itself. It takes four years to get graduated in it, and and you cover the different aspects of procurement, uh, contracts, commercial operations, actually reporting on cash flows and monitoring it on a really close level. So it's a a full-time capacity role to make sure that it's important. I mean, it's as important as anything. Health and safety is is always number one in construction, but you have to be able to function financially as well. And, Mm -hmm. And so that's the main difference that you see in, in Ireland and the UK and, even across like Australia and, and, and into the States, the quantities are vain or at least uh, at a corporate level and, and down into the contractors, it's it's more common. Um, mm. But it's becoming more and more common as well. Um, but here in Scandinavia, it just wasn't a, a defined role. Mm. So even when I did come back, I had difficulties trying to have interviews with some Swedish companies back in the time before and you just don't really fit in doesn't fit into a a specific box within their organization so Mm. that that's a challenge in itself and and even now yeah I've set up QS Consult to to look to provide that service both for maybe international companies or particularly for for Swedish companies that when they get experience with international clients you know, you, the, the, in my own experience, you get the feedback that they learn mm. that having that resource is a benefit to them. Yeah. Because there's difficulties culturally, as you know, with a lot of things, um, Swedish companies culturally just handle the process on construction projects mm. much more different to how the international kind of Irish or UK companies would. And that brings its own challenges because ultimately you're talking about money. It can be something that can be a, a hard t- topic to discuss and, mm. and have issues with. So getting that kind of guidance and steering, steering to how to manage that and the expectations around it mm. is something that I think there's a, there's a massive opportunity in, in Sweden and Scandinavia to kind of do that mm. and and help not the the big clients that may they may go to some there's big established consultancy groups in in Sweden like Sweco and Kowi and and these people that have mm. lots of employees but for the the smaller scale contractors that are just looking to 
continue mm. in that basis and, and maybe work on projects where there's international interfacing with clients that's yeah. th- there's a service there. Well, it's kind of, you need a common language and you need a common way of working if you're going to work with any company, if you're going to build anything. And it would seem to me that, you know, until now the Swedes have had maybe a project manager or a cost controller or a project engineer or an entrepreneur, as you mentioned there, right? And they just sort of bake it into that. But it's not really the same thing as what you're doing. So in terms of your sort of day-to-day work, right, don't name any names or sites or companies or anything because the libel insurance just costs too much <laughs> on this part. But what would you do? If, if I was saying to you, right, Gary, I'm building a data centre in Shista in my back garden, right? And I say, I need a quantity surveyor. What would you be able to do for me on that project? How early do you come into it and how long do you stay in it? That's probably the most important thing to to get that discussion going early in, the, in what we'd say the, the concept stage of a project. Mm. Um, feasibility studies is something that with, a, with an experienced quantity surveyor, they can help with different budget protocols and advice on, on procurement strategies. Um, really, you, you, you still rely on the, the expertise of different members of the team as well. Like, and you, you're never going to have the, the right answer to everything. But the earlier the, you can have a, a quantity surveyor, a, a commercial manager involved in the project from concept stage right through to execution. So even on the back end of the project, then there are, nothing ever goes according to plan on construction projects. Mm-hmm. And within that, you will have your contracts. So you have to define that scope of work. So having an experienced quantity surveyor that has a, that knows the different areas of where there might be either potential that you'll, you're going to have additional costs and help address that from a point of view of a, of a, a client who's looking to build something and have certainty on their costs. And or then when changes are out there or at as they call them here, that mm-hmm. they're handled in a way that's, you know, that can be um, properly done right mm-hmm. the way through to the final execution and, and how you would do that. So establishing budgets and being able to close out them final negotiations, is, it's, a, it's a big part of what the QS is involved with. Mm. Is that, you know, if we're going to be sort of, you know, uh, direct about it is a lot to do with money and budget and making sure that things happen that okay that you know the fireproofing or the alarm system doesn't cost more than what I originally said or originally budgeted for is there a lot of that kind of thing in there as well there would be a lot of that so initially you would you would work with your engineers and your architects and you'd understand what the the scope and specification of something like that so if you take a service like say the fire alarm installation so you'd, you'd establish what that budget is in terms of what's feasible for the client to build and then really that process and the formality of that process that uh, say I would be familiar with from my training would be that you would prepare tender documents that you then issue out to potential contractors who want to price that job Mm -hmm. and then when the prices come back you do the comparison you assess them both financially feasibility what uh, the different requirements are that you'd want from the right contractor to come in and then to go through that negotiation process to get them involved in the project in the way that and taking all the requirements as you go and then yeah, just when they when they are involved and installation is done making sure that the payments are made and the final checks are signed so yeah that's pretty much what you'd be doing 
How stressful is it when things go wrong? Because you mentioned that, you know, in construction, nothing ever goes according to plan. You can have the loveliest drawing and you can have the biggest bank account of that. And then all of a sudden somebody says, okay, well, this is a listed building. Or, oh, you don't actually own the right of way for that, you know, to reach that uh, parking lot that you had designed, that kind of thing. Is it very stressful in those situations? And is your job then to find a solution or is your job then to say, okay, I've identified these three or four solutions. You're on your own now, chief, kind of thing. (laughs) Well, especially you see how grey I am now. Like that's probably uh, a sign of a of a quantity of fear anyway. But uh, no, the it, it is it's gonna have their challenges. I mean, it, it will have its challenges. But like I've been lucky in, in my time working on, particularly some of the bigger projects that you do, you you have a team there. Like there there there's always a high performance team working on these projects. Like mm-hmm. construction is is not that straightforward it can be very complicated projects and it takes a lot of interfacing between lots of different departments so things will come up potentially you'd have you know services one way running and and there could be a potential issue but the best way with that is to is to kind of the collaboration between Mm. the different members so you don't always like i said you're not always going to have the right answer but i suppose there is a lot of kind of uh, providing the platform for finding the solution and mm-hmm. then more so than focusing if there's if there's a financial element to that trying dealing with that to, to close it out mm. um after more than a decade now of being involved in construction in various different forms here setting up your own company you've seen so many great irish companies come establish themselves here getting involved in building factories and data centers and big sites how well do you think they work culturally with the Swedes? What is the, that the Swedes like about the kind of companies that have you've worked for and with in the past? I think really, I heard Dara talking about it last week as well, and I think the Irish have a, a really good reputation mm-hmm. in construction, particularly execution of the work, the quality of the work. And they're just extremely hardworking to get the job done to the project. So especially with some of these large-scale projects that you're talking about, schedule is key, like time mm. is money with construction. And I think what the Irish companies have done is proven time and time again that they achieve to the high standards that are required and in the timeline that's given. And they work well with Swedish companies, I think. Mm. I think the cultures are, are quite similar. They they try to do what's to come the right thing, mm. but and, and work together. So it's no surprise that that it's Irish companies that are involved and and the big blue chip clients or big developers. They they take the Irish companies are willing to travel. They've gone out into Europe and have proven, as I said, over the last ten twenty years to become the leaders in in a lot of aspects of of construction and. Um, You'll find them now in, in Sweden, Denmark, probably in Finland, Norway, all across Scandinavia. Mm. So it's only going to get better and better, I think, for Irish companies over here. Mm. We've had something of a sort of a golden age for the Irish community in Sweden because of people coming into places like Yavla. There was a huge site in Luleå, which I think has wound down a little bit now. Hillerud in Denmark, who provided the GAA club that won the first round of the Nordic Championships. Is this the golden age? Or you mentioned to me as well that there's even bigger projects coming along or more projects coming along in different places, in Yavla, in Vesteros and that kind of thing. Is there a big pipeline for these Irish companies and indeed for yourself and for QS Consult of projects that are going to keep you going for five or 10 or 15 years? I hope so. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah. but the, no, it does. It, it is a promising region for for the fact that 
all throughout even the last 10 15 years okay they you know talk locally about maybe slowing down to the levels mm. that are there but if you take it on a, on a european basis i mean scandinavia is is leading in terms of sustainable pr- production there's mm. large projects always in the pipeline coming down the line and it's a it's a optimal place for these data centers and large projects to be built for various different reasons but they have identified that it is that reason um mm. or you know for the likes of sweden so it is there is a lot of potential with that and i think right throughout and because of what has been as a proven track record now as long as that work is there i think the irish companies are in a, with a great shout to continue working here and, and continue to establish themselves as as big players in the market over here is there any any threat to them is there any other country that's coming in the way enterprise ireland and daryl carl and uh, hannah have done and, and said right we have these great companies there or are they sort of established so much now that as long as they do things properly they're going to sort of retain this position of dominance or this position where they're a preferred supplier i i think a lot of it again is is, is the proven track record mm-hmm. the, the companies that have been involved in these projects they it's it's amazing really the amount of people that they have brought over say even in sweden mm-hmm. like how many people are working in Yavlel, and so there's multiple different irish companies involved there and it's it's no small task to get that amount of people over working on a project being able to integrate into the local community mm-hmm. but on the construction basis it's health and safety and quality and schedule they they always achieve what they need to do mm-hmm. and um once you do that, I think in Anton and business, if you can prove yourself like that, I think you you deserve to be put as on the pedestal of being the preferred contractor going forward. Like so, mm. with, with things like that, because obviously you know these are big, big money deals when you're building data centers or battery factories or this kind of crap, right? But I always noticed that you know years ago when we used to try to sell cheap Irish mince meat here in the supermarkets, people would look at that and go, "No, that's not good because it was too cheap." Is price something that you have to compete on or is that just part of a bigger picture? So, you know, you can be 5 or 10 or 15 euros an hour more expensive as long as you deliver on time. Is that your experience of it or is price something that you you have to be cheap as well? That's not so straightforward when you're working in like Scandinavia, as you know. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of unions and there's a lot of requirements and I think think that the Irish companies, one of their key strengths is their understanding that they've, they've used the advice of people like Enterprise Ireland, um, the local market conditions. And I think that's where you have to, they are doing it in the right way. Mm. And, and and there is a cost, like in Scandinavia, with everything, it's, it's it can be expensive to, mm. to run the construction projects or to employ the people here. Um, so it's not always, the cheapest doesn't always get you the, the best solution. I mm. think that's something that's kind of relevant in construction the last say 10, 15 years, that there's more of an understanding that to be, achieve a certain quality, there's there's obviously a certain cost to that. Mm. Um, but uh, you have to remain competitive in the industry. It's a very competitive industry in general. Um, so it has, you have to find the right balance. And, and generally, if you use it, quantities of air, mm. it's, a, it's a good way of trying to make that correct balance between them. Mm. When you hand somebody your business card, 
you know, Sven Svensson, and you go, oh, yeah, Sven, I'm from QS Consult. What does QS stand for? Gary? Well, it stands for quantity supply. What the hell is that, Gary? You know? yeah. How do you sell the idea or the concept of a quantity surveyor, which doesn't really exist in, in Sweden? What's the elevator pitch for that? Do you tell them, look, pal, I can save you a load of money and, you know, you'll be an awful lot less grey-haired than what I am kind of thing. How do you go about getting yourself in the door? That's proven uh, probably the, the biggest challenge locally. Um, I have had very positive conversations with different companies and, and in many ways I am hoping they, they have a bit of an understanding of where the client surveyor comes from or what that mm. role entails. Um, now, thankfully, there are Swedish people as well and, and people involved in Swedish companies who have had that experience, maybe mm. the likes of Skanska and there's an international element to some of the Swedish companies so they they have an understanding of where that role is and um, depending on on their own requirements but it's it, it the, the the kind of pitch per se that would go to a Swedish company is is more I have an understanding of like what a cost controller is so they do have a, a the, as you said the basics of some roles that mm-hmm. they've kind of baked that into but it's just to get that regularity of particularly of the types of reporting and the levels of data that is there. So, I mean, data and data analytics is, is key for any business. And you can take, you can skim it from the top level and you can just kind of think, okay, this is okay. And we're looking down the line in terms of margins or profits. And, and yeah, we're happy enough with that. And we'll, we'll dip in every now and again and we'll check on it. And, and, that can work sometimes, but if you take your eye off the ball too long, a lot of things can go wrong in, in projects mm. and it's too late come the, the end of it. So what the key service that a client surveyor really does and what QS Consult can do for a company is providing that analysis and, and feedback and information on, on the health and of the project throughout. Mm. And as things come up and, and issues come up, address them as they are and, and try and deal with them as they come up so that there's no surprises in how the project is going and you can forecast and see how that's going to impact on the bottom line of the project basically by the end of it. Mm. Um, how much of your time is spent with your nose in Excel and how much is actually spent out on site looking at the progress, talking to architects, talking to contractors? How is it sort of split up in your day? It's probably went a bit more of a hybrid type of a role. I think since COVID in particular, mm. um, you have to be trusted that with that, there's there's always a weekly and monthly deliverables and, and, and the reporting. And as you said, Excel, I think I remember a lecturer telling me in college that I just learn Excel inside out <laughs> and this is what you're going to use. It's all these fancy programs and everything else, but you you rely on Excel for a lot. But... Yeah, like I, I really enjoy the the on site side of it. I, I like going into workshops, going onto the sites and seeing things um, mm. happening on the project. So I would, I would make a conscious effort to visit the site multiple times a week mm. or projects wherever that would be. Um, as I said, my my initial stint in college was in project management, so mm. I kind of wanted to be involved in projects. All, all the way along um, and I suppose you have that if you don't have that interfacing with the project team and, and understanding how they work and how the schedule is looking and the, the sequence of how the job is built mm. you really have to get that understanding that basic knowledge um, so you, you can't do that from sitting 
mm. a computer screen in an office somewhere. The lads who are out on these sites and the project managers who are out there and the construction workers, do you think they look forward to your visits or is it, oh, Jesus, here's your man now again to tell us what we're doing wrong and that we're not doing this quick enough? Well, they, I'd say it's more the second part, probably. Probably <laughs> think of what he, what's he going shaking at now. But no, I think, like, I, I really enjoyed those, as I said, my, I had four years up on projects in, in Yavle and, mm. like, really enjoyed my time with a lot of the team there like that's a very high performance team both on the contractors and and even on the like the project management team that represent the client there there's some really good people like you, you actually mm. enjoy seeing them and there's a, a nice social side to that as well mm. um so i don't know how much they enjoy seeing me but i enjoy going to that site so <laughs> Um, are they sort of putting down roots there? Because one of the things that has obviously happened with the Irish around the world that, you know, a bunch of lads and it's mostly lads go away and they work in a construction site and then they might meet a girl, this kind of thing, or a local company or a local entity has been started up owned by an Irish firm, but they open up a Swedish entity and that kind of thing. So there are people sort of buying houses, getting mortgages, starting families. Is there a lot of that? And do you expect that there'll be more of that in the future so that the Irish community will grow in Sweden? It's hard to know. I think there will be a, a footprint left. I mean, even mm. from my time when I first came to Sweden, there are still some people that you see or know of that are, are still in Stockholm from, from back mm-hmm. then. You, it might be as common. And the nature of them projects, they, they tend to be 18 months long. You know, even mm. the big projects, there there's such tight deadlines that it's it could just be that they're in for a certain amount of time and they're gone to another place again. And, mm. You know, it, it may be that they're moving around. Like we, we you, you have seen, and even up till now, the last few years, projects are popping up, but they close down, and and teams move on to somewhere mm. else. I, I think there, in Yavle, there are people that have brought families over, have integrated into community up there, started their kids in school around there. Mm. How long term that is, it's, it's hard to know, but I'd like to see that it, it would be, to yeah. be honest. And I think. Um, you know, I think what you do as well with the podcast and the platform that's here and, you know, the Irish community in Sweden, it's it's become a lot stronger, I think, than mm. maybe it was before. And you see it, St. Patrick's Day Parade and stuff like the yeah. numbers of people that are here. It's, it's mm. great to see. There are hundreds out down in Malmö and people coming across the, the bridge from Hildred and Schopenhamn or Copenhagen and this kind of thing as yeah. well, you know. Um, sport has always been a big part of your life. It's, I always find it amazing how modest you are. When I look at you and a great footballer and Gaelic footballer that you are, and you're always so modest about it, you're about to undertake uh, a fairly big, uh, it's, it's, it's a run, right? This uh, top bar, the three peaks in Aura. Is, uh, I won't be running it now. I'd, I'd be lucky to, to walk it, I'd say. But no, it's, it is. It's a, it's a three peaks climb um, that I'll be doing in, in Aura on the 27th of May. So, How long is that? Before we get into why you're doing it, how long is it? What's the challenge of doing this thing? Well, it takes, it's it estimated to take about 12 hours. It could be 12 to 14 hours. So the, the three peaks themselves are the equivalent of the three peaks in the UK. Yeah. So in around 3,200 metres. So each of them in their own may take about between four and five hours. So there's three trails that you can, that have been identified that are going to, do in Aura and they're all in close proximity so the reason that we that I'm doing it is that um, it's to support a, a local charity at home called Garage Smile so um, Garage 
Smile was set up by his, his family. He unfortunately lost his battle to leukemia when he was young. And what they do there is every year they are climbing three peaks in Ackle Island. So there's mm. three mountains in close proximity. And, and the community there do that. And they're they're carrying out that again on the 27th of May um, this year. So they're in Ackle. They have a very strong sense of community there. So they actually have the local Coast Guard and, and business all to support that. And mm. they set up in the local national school and they they started about six in the morning mm. and they and they climbed the, the three peaks and raised money for the organization so mm. what Gareth Smiles does is that they they provide therapeutic break for families mm. that are on their journey for children that are, are battling cancer and leukemia um, and they have sent families to Ackle Island where the businesses there provided accommodation and, and the different relief that they'd have and the goal of doing the climb in Sweden is that we want to raise money for providing a family the opportunity to go somewhere outside of Ireland mm. and give the family and the child uh, memories that they can mm. have so we've identified a couple of places but the main place this year we're trying to try and send a family is to um, Legoland in Billund in Denmark yeah. in Denmark so we're as part of the climb looking for both private and maybe even corporate sponsorship that are willing to get involved. We've talked about all the great Irish companies that are here. Mm-hmm. Um, if any of them are able to support in any way, um, we're going to be arranging the full logistics of traveling from Ireland over, looking after the accommodation and getting them to the place. And, and he said, providing them that um, relief and, and as I said to, just to have time that they can make memories because I suppose it's it's an extremely difficult topic to kind of talk about. I couldn't imagine how difficult it is for families who are going through that journey um, and how it must be, it's incredibly stressful for everyone involved. Um, and, and there's the thing as well that if you're in that situation and you have a child that needs that level of care, you can't work full time. You can't, you know, you, oftentimes you'll have to take a day off here to go up to Dublin or, or to go somewhere. And that eats into the, the resources that you have available to do these things, like traveling to Lego or to Disneyland or wherever else, right? Well, that's it. Um, so as you said, it's, it's, it's extremely difficult. I mean, a lot of times families that, particularly if they're in the West of Ireland, I mean, yeah. that's, you're probably talking that only one, you know, you're not going to have two incomes coming into the family. The priority then is the, the health of your mm-hmm. child, of course. And what the, what, uh, what Garo Smile has done up to this point as well, they, they have annual toy drives. They've raised money to pay for play therapists to be located in, in the Mayo General Hospital. Mm-hmm. They provide iPads and equipment to hospitals to to give children in in these situations some some joy and some fulfillment that they can have on on their journey and i think it's it's really important i think there's a lot of big organizations out there doing tremendous work around cancer research and everything like that but i suppose being a a new dad myself and my own son you 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 do get a, a different realization of how heartbreaking that is for people that are on that journey and mm trying to do something to raise money and, and give an opportunity to them to find some sort of 
just joy respite and respite yeah. to, to that. It's it's that's the main goal of it, really. Mm. How can people get in contact with you? How can they contribute a few crowns, a few euros to your three? Because this is something you're doing yourself, right? Is this part of? There's nobody in order is fixing this for you. You're just going to go up there. You're going to start and you're going to go do it, right? Yeah, that's yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So going to. Well, it's open for for any volunteers to join. Mm. The the ideal situation would be that we'd uh, do this every year, similar to what's at home. And Mm. for as long as I'm in Sweden, we'll try and do it every year. And so anybody, there are are people hiking as a popular thing in Sweden. And I know the big Irish community that's here. Anyone who's willing to come along to Aura is more than welcome to do so. So we could probably share details again on how to do that or get in touch with me through social media or maybe share my own email address out later on Mm. Uh, and going to create a GoFundMe page where they can make any donation there that they could Mm. no matter how small it is um, it would be muchly appreciated Mm. Um, have you mapped out the route have you done Google Maps have you driven it in your big car that kind of thing do you know what's awaiting you there in the end of May yeah yeah I know what's awaiting me so it's it's Good in a way that it's from a like a health and safety point of view and from how it's planned out, there's there's three trails that are identified, you know, there's, there's so, maps. So it won't be like the lads up in Lulio who got stuck in the mountain that time, <laughs> but uh, the day the All-Ireland Holland final, I think it was. Yeah, no, let's not hope not. Let's hope not. <laughs> it shouldn't be that. So, so you reckon there's three trails that are there that you can walk and they're, you know, they're obviously hiking trails and that. So how will you prepare for this? Because, you know, I don't know if training in the gym and doing Gaelic football, are you out doing long walks around the lakes in Sigtuna in the evening now or how are you getting ready for it? Yeah, I think it's it's kind of part of my training up till now and I've been training over the winter like with football in mind, but it is a case of just getting extra steps in um, mm. and getting familiar. So over the next couple of weekends, going to hike in local places around Stockholm mm. and just get the time up a little bit in terms of mm. walking and just the, a lot of it on the day is about hydration and, and nutrition and just having a bit of a plan with that. So mm. that me. We talked to Colm O'Callaghan here back during the winter there about running and uh, about marathon running and the mental aspect of it. How do you expect that to be? Will you be loading up with Irish and Sweden podcast? Because you always listen to them on a Monday when they come out anyway. But, you know, will you have a sort of an audio book on? Do you hope to have somebody with you that you'll be able to share this with? Uh, and do you think you'll still be friends with that person at the end of it when you've been walking for for 12 hours? <laughs> well, I've listened to all your podcasts, so I don't, I, I don't, yeah, it wouldn't get me too far now unless I re-listen to them all again. But, uh, no, I think, I am hoping that maybe there will be people that can join me on on. The challenge as well mm. i think just company as well as for for anything else you know there's a lot of health with health and safety and stuff as well it's just good to have someone with you when something like that you're going to yeah. do so i hope that's the case like i said it's open to anybody to to come along as well um uh but yeah i think it'll just be you kind of want it to be a challenge in a way with that and and i'll bring you headphones just in case if i have to listen to a bit of music. The, the old power bank to keep you going yeah. as well. Uh, the the charity is called Garrod Smile. You're going to be setting up a GoFundMe, which we'll share via the podcast. So anybody who's listening to this now and who's sitting there thinking, oh, Jesus, I just spent 48 crowns and a cup of coffee in espresso house. Don't, don't do that. Give the money to this, right? Because 
we tend to forget in Sweden that we have things pretty good over here. We have fantastic health service. We have all these other things like that. But there are people, especially in the west of Ireland, as Gary said, who need that little bit of support. And I think as fathers ourselves, when we sit and we think about, you know, imagine getting that news from your doctor or from the child's doctor. And, you know, the little that we can do by foregoing that cup of coffee or that point in, in Veerstrom's pub with Martin Hessian there would make a huge difference if enough of us do it to a family in the west of Ireland. Um, you mentioned that this is something that you want to do every year, that you remain in Sweden, Gary. Um, how long do you think you'll be here? Because yourself and Alien and young Jack seem to have settled in very well. You seem to have bought into the whole idea. Do you see yourself being here for the rest of your life? Or is there a part of you still that wants to get back to Ackle Island? I think for now, the medium to long term plan is to stay in, in Sweden. Hmm. Um love getting back to Ackle going to get back for a couple of weeks in, in July see the family and, and it's a it's a great place to go um, but I think just long term for we, we, yeah we've really bought a house in Sigtuna mm-hmm. just outside it's Stockholm last year and we love it up there we've got lovely neighbours and just it's a, it's a nice area for Jack to grow up in so mm-hmm. I think long term we'll be here you just never know what might happen but mm-hmm. It's part of the reason of setting up QS Consult and the reason that I suppose stepped away from some of the projects there. There are people that are here maybe on a shorter term cycle and they will move back to Ireland and their their long term plan probably isn't to stay in this country. But it's important for me as well that working with Swedish companies and, and hopefully becoming fluent in Swedish and having that um I think that long term you have to have that really mm. if you want to fully integrate into society in the way that you you like with Jack growing up in in mm. the area and he's going to a Swedish first school and and you know there's other lots of Irish community I think that are lucky enough that they have that skill set of having Swedish now mm. and I think that makes a big difference. Mm. Um, so that's that's the plan for now anyway you're doing pretty well I've seen you arguing with plenty of referees in Swedish over the years you know so it's uh, and, and Dumara was my first Swedish word <laughs> so. we won't say what the second one was yeah. <laughs> for now Gary we shall include the links to that kind of thing the very best of luck and I don't know if I'll be the man to join in the 27th of May but hopefully some will and uh, if they don't at least they'll go to Gerald Smiles when you have the GoFundMe set up and contribute, contribute a few Bob but for now thanks very much for talking to me thanks very much Phil there you go now, lads and ladies. The great Gary Lavelle of Sigtuna Parish there and getting ready to do his three tops, his three peaks for Gerald Smile. And you know the way usually I'd pay a little bit of a clip or something, that kind of thing. And there was just nothing appropriate after that conversation that I could do because I just want everybody to stay focused on the fact that he's doing this and that the GoFundMe is is live now and people are throwing in a few bob left, right and centre. So if you do have a few quid to spare... Uh, go click on the link and uh, throw in a few quid and see what happens there a um, couple of things before we go next weekend Spuds and Seal are doing their presentation of uh, their performances of Dancing at Luna so I believe the Friday night is sold out so if you're looking for tickets it's going to have to be on the Saturday right so see if you can get a couple of tickets for the Saturday they might be sold out as well it wouldn't surprise me uh, if you want to go back over the podcast you'll have um it was a grace was on the the podcast there talking about it a little while ago so go have a listen to that i might try to get along myself and record a little bit very busy times but i'm uh, the best of luck break a leg to everybody involved in that and a big shout out of course to morty mccarthy the drummer and merchandiser the drummer from sultans of ping fc uh, who was on the road in Sweden, around Sweden and the Nordics uh, with uh, the undertones of my good friend Mickey Bradley from County Derry there. 
And uh, it seems, I don't know what happened last week in Malmo, but apparently the drummer was unwell. And Mickey, uh, oh sorry, uh, Morty hopped in and played the drums for a few tunes with the undertones. And in his usual modest way, Morty went, look, at, I'm not going to do an interview with you or anything else like that. I did what had to be done and that, you know. Great punk rocker, great uh, soul, great musician. And uh, great to hear him having the chance to play with the undertones, who I think we all sort of idolised growing up after teenage kicks and my perfect cousin and all that kind of thing. So, well... Uh, that's all the energy that I can muster for this week, boys and girls. I don't know how I managed to get through it, but here we are. Hopefully I'll be feeling a little bit better next week. And um, I'll be talking to a young man who came over here and is telling Swedes how to sell vodka. There you go. That'll that'll pique the interest of the boys and girls. In the meantime, before we get to that, I want you to look after yourselves, look after one another, and I'll talk to you again next week on the Irish in Sweden podcast. Take care. <laughs>